and welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate, listeners. I am one of the hosts of this show, Trace. And I am the other host, Julian. I like how our show title sounded like, please elaborate, listeners. As in like, this one's going to be on you all. We're going to kick back. We're going to reverse the polarity. (laughs) Oh, no. The temporal field. Uh... If you haven't listened to this show before, Julian and I get together and we answer questions submitted by each other or by our listeners or sometimes by our guests. And those questions are sometimes absurd. And we do the actual science research to figure out what the answer might be. Might be. They're at a minimum absurd. Like we we don't accept well thought out, simple to answer questions. <laughs> we demand absurdity from you and from each other. And honestly, they the audience delivers. They deliver. They really do. They they've been delivering in spades lately. We've been getting a lot of questions come in. We have it linked to our you know like insider little Slack channel. And for the last few days, it's just been like bing bing. Oh, and, yeah. And it was hard for me to pick for this episode. It was really difficult. There I'm were excited. some good ones. Yeah, there were so many good ones. I'm like excited for this episode, like every time we record, but I'm also excited for the future episodes because I keep seeing these new questions come in and I'm super pumped about them. Yeah. I'm just really proud of our audience for submitting cool stuff. So thanks, yeah. y'all. That's really awesome. If you all want to submit a question now, you can go down into the show notes, go to our website, whatever, go to thatsabsurdshow.com slash ask, or, uh, you know, you can always email us as well a question. There's many, many avenues to reach us with your absurd inquiries. So, Trace, uh, who's kicking it off this this episode? You went last last episode with Ralph. I think you should go first this time because I don't oh, want okay. you to go last. I want you to okay. go first. You're the best. Oh, that's very sweet. But that means technically I have less of a break. You know, I have yeah. I'm like an athlete playing back to back games, except I'm I'm like a brain leet, like a brain. mind leet. Brathlete. A brathlete. That a just Sarah, sounds like a cerebellumanist. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds bad. Let's not do that one. You're not, no, a, not that one. That's a disease for sure. <laughs> uh, that I do not want to contract, which is a, an excellent segue into uh, my question from this week. So this comes from uh, Nitai. And Nitai asks, if you went back in time to see the dinosaurs, would they go extinct from the common cold? Ooh, interesting. Very War of the Worlds kind of a question. That's where I went, too. That was actually my first instinct. I don't know why, but I think about the ending of War of the Worlds, especially like the 2005 one with Tom Cruise a lot. Wait, like are you com- ta- are you saying War of the Worlds is your Roman Empire? <laughs> Sometimes, you ever just think about War of the Worlds? You ever just think about War of the Worlds? You ever just... <laughs> just yes. like in general. Just, yeah. you know, just sitting there. I honestly think about War of the Worlds way more often than I probably should. I do a lot because, you know, the the ending of it and the original one from, you know, what was it, the 30s with Orson Welles was like, oh no, this alien species with superior technology has has invaded us and oh gosh they're they're destroying us oh but hey really good news a bunch of pathogens wiped them out like they they forgot about the pathogens and so um we win everybody good job good all that military spending didn't actually factor into it it was little (laughs) little microbes that just life advanced beings forgot uh, to account for finds a way (laughs) yeah to (laughs) kick some alien 
three-toed booty. Apparently, aliens didn't have mRNA technology yet. I guess not. I, which brings up many good points that we will actually probably get to. But um, I think it's funny in War of the Worlds, though, how instantaneous it is. Like yeah. in the 2005 version, I watched the ending again just to like see if it was as silly as I remember. And yeah, like they they take down one of these alien like giant battle machines and then like the containing little goose sack that the alien pilot is in like bursts open and it comes out and it's like all menacing and like growling at the soldiers and then it just like becomes all crusted over and dies like immediately and then Mm. morgan freeman's narration is just like looks like those super genius aliens forgot about god's humblest creatures bacteria and that's like the end of the movie (laughs) (laughs) it was a pretty good morgan freeman like i I can hear it i can hear it maybe it wasn't a good impression of morgan freeman but when you were talking i could hear morgan freeman in the background it was more about the spirit than the you know vocal timber and quality right it was the gravitas and the dufresne was a friend of mine uh, <laughs> wanted them to know that red had been here too no so <laughs> anyway a lot, of, a lot of people praying to me bruce we're just gonna do all of morgan freeman's roles his whole catalog we're gonna take a slight three-hour diversion to just welcome morgan freeman welcome to free chat the freedom morgan freeman podcast all morgan freeman all the time time. uh that's what it reminded me of and then we followed up with Nitai to ask if he wanted to elaborate, and he, he actually included something that I'd forgotten, which was The Simpsons had this exact gag in, like, a, a Treehouse of Horror episode called Time and Punishment, where, like, Homer goes back in time and he keeps messing things up, and it, in one instance, like, a dinosaur is about to eat him, and he sneezes on it, and then the dinosaur backs away and, like, sniffles, sneezes, and it's just, like, this literal domino effect yeah. of, like, every dinosaur in the I land... Yeah, just dropping out of the sky. And the pterosaurs, which are technically not dinosaurs, so I'll include them too. I remember them yeah. them plummeting to the earth. So yeah, it's a great question, right? And I think now that we're in kind of cold season where we're all indoors from the winter and people are getting sniffly and diseases are spreading, you might wonder, what's, what is your chance if you were to hop in a time machine right now and go back 65 million plus years that you would also be responsible for wiping out the dinosaurs? So I did some digging. And one thing I wanted to clear up right away, because Nitai, in his deeper explanation of his question, says, well, you know, they, they didn't have this adaptation to modern day pathogens like we do. Would yeah. it cause this extinction event? And the immune system is adaptive, which is a really amazing thing. But we don't only rely on an adaptive immune system. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody kind of knows about the, oh, you'll be exposed to some pathogen and your your body creates cells that have a memory of what this pathogen is. And then the next time it sees it, it can attack it and kill it. Right. And that's like the, the premise for how vaccines work or why you can get inoculated after exposure to a certain disease. Right. Right. Well, we don't only rely on that, which is called acquired immunity. We also have innate immunity, which is a much more generalized approach to fighting off pathogenic invaders like viruses, bacteria, fungi, parasites, that sort of thing. Okay. So you probably know of white blood cells being one of the 
parts of your immune system that fights off these infection. And it's true that these white blood cells, also known as leukocytes, they can become specialized to recognizing certain pathogen. But the most common white blood cells that you have in your immune system are actually... Are you pulling out a textbook? I am. I have my wife's biology textbook because I wanted to make sure I got this right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Don't don't clown me like that. Don't out me like that to the listeners. (laughs) No, pull out that textbook. Get it. No. So the most common uh, leukocytes are called neutrophils. And these are actually white blood cells that aren't specialized for anything. They just are programmed to kind of recognize the general features of invaders like Mm -hmm. viruses or infected cells or cancerous cells and attack and kill those. So even without like adaptive immunity, you could bet that, you know, traveling back in time, these dinosaurs are still going to have this innate immunity because innate Mm -hmm. immunity Mm -hmm. has been around a lot longer than dinosaurs. And in fact, so has the ability to have adaptive immunity. Oh, I didn't know that. I was going to ask how, yeah, how... We, we know or we're pretty confident that dinosaurs had these abilities, even in general. I mean, I assume they did, but... Yes, yes. So we're... Even though, you know, fossil records are not the soft tissues, right? So that's yeah. kind of hard to get a feel for. It's all like the bones that have been fossilized. We can still tell from, you know, like evolutionary trees and DNA that we've, you know, mapped out and looked back into the past when different features of the immune system came about. And it turns out that the adaptive immunity that you think of when you think of your immune system, that's been around for probably about 500 million years. Oh, wow. That's a minute. That's, that's a that's long time. a long time, right? So that's basically when jawless fishes split off from jawed vertebrates and jawed fishes. And it seems to evidence points to adaptive immunity coming around about that time. Hmm. So, that's you know, fun. E- even if... Uh, we could transmit some disease to said dinosaurs like the common cold, they still have innate immunity to fight it off and uh, an adaptive immune system to recognize the pathogen and maybe inoculate it from future infections. So there's no guarantee that just because we're introducing some modern virus that it's going to play havoc with the dinosaur. Right. Yeah, makes sense, right? I mean, it makes sense, yeah. You would go back in time, and like when you go travel anywhere in the world, an isolated nation, you do think about, oh, well, I'm bringing a disease that's going to kill the things that are here. But we're all also humans. There's a lot of human diseases. Does that come into play? Am I jumping ahead of your narrative here? You're actually right on it. I, now that I have my wife's textbook open, I have to I have to correct myself. It's acquired immunity, not adaptive immunity. Oh, okay. Got right. it. So that's Even what though, you... Infected it's is, adapting, but it's not... That's not what it's called. Yeah, you're called acquiring acquired. that immunity. And you can right. pass on this acquired immunity to your offspring, too, which is a nice, nice feature. Oh, that's, that's a nice bonus. Aww. Yeah, good feature of that. Thanks, genetics. Okay. <laughs> so an issue, though, with this question specifically is Nitai asks... Would we kill them with the common cold? And a thing you have to take into account with viruses is what's known as their host range, right? Mm. Like, diseases can and do jump between species. I mean, coronavirus is a a pretty recent and uh, poignant reminder of that, right? If you went to the zoo during, uh, you know, to your local zoological park during the coronavirus, because it was a nice outdoor activity that one could do uh, when we were all supposed to be isolated and not necessarily 
you know, and physically distanced from each other. There were several animals that had big barriers here in the LA Zoo. They, they were like, do not go near these animals because, mm-hmm. uh, and they had even taken some of them out of the exhibits because it was, it was transmissible to them. So they could right. have gotten COVID from the human visitors. Question for you though. Uh, did these animals have a common thread? Is there something mm. about these animals that was similar? Yeah, they were all, I think they were all mammals. Pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were all, they were all fuzzy. Uh, probably, you know, had some milk bearing, uh, you know, structures in order to provide that. Yeah. And then probably birthed alive young, you know. Yeah. The yeah. things that make us mammals. Unless they're, unless they're platypuses. Yeah. Did they have the platypuses, the platypi locked away? I didn't see one. Uh, anyway, yeah. but yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? The These animals that zoologists were concerned for their safety during the coronavirus pandemic were mammals because it's easier for viruses to jump between more closely related species because they're going to share similar features that allow these viruses to operate, mm-hmm. right? So the common cold in humans is caused by different rhinovirus strains, And rhinoviruses that cause the common cold are adapted only for humans. They just go Hmm. after us. I mean, dogs, cats, they can all get different rhinoviruses of their own. Which are separate from ours. But yeah, but they don't cross. The the host Hmm. range for rhinovirus is really, really narrow. I didn't know that. That's That's pretty cool. So you don't really have to worry about transmitting the common cold to something as distantly related to us as dinosaurs. And uh, it's actually kind of interesting because viruses operate by sort of, you know, exploiting some weakness in how your cells operate, right? Like a virus is technically a non-living thing. It's a little package of DNA or RNA in a little protein capsid. And then that capsid, if it's attacking... Uh, a eukaryote like us will have mm-hmm. a a outer sheath made of you know cell membrane material and then little proteins on it and those proteins are kind of like a key that unlock specific like keyholes in our cells and the rhinovirus receptors for us they attack things in our respiratory tract known as intercellular adhesion molecule one that's the primary way that they get it wow so Jeez. this Adhesion molecule is actually part of how your immune system works. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, it's a little, like, molecule sticking out of cells uh, that you have in different parts of your body, like the endothelium, which is, like, the coating on the outside of your your, uh, respiratory tract that's in touch with, you know, the air that goes by. Got it. I hope it's the inside of your respiratory tract. Yeah, it's inside your body, but the outside... outside if you think the, of your mouth the, as like a tube, right? right. And like yeah. the in, the inside that of the tube. That is the outside because it continues from the out. It goes yeah. around my lip my, yeah. into the body. Like you could shove so, like your whole mouth in there continuously, right. you know. And so anything yeah. that your hand would slide by. This is a really gross kind of way of visualizing it. It's very it. gross to think about. Very Jonah and the whale <laughs> kind of Pinocchio and the whale. Lots of whale. Right interiors that we've seen so those are your endothelial cells and in your respiratory tract they have these adhesion molecules that actually on solo in the space whale is that i didn't read that that book of the bible <laughs> i don't know that one <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry 
<laughs> oh no, that was offensive. Okay, so they these cells have these adhesion molecules because they allow your white blood cells to actually grab onto and kind of locomote around. That's how your white blood cells can't swim. They've got to grab onto these adhesion molecules and kind of ladder their way around like a little amoeba. And cool. the rhinoviruses, by and large, that give us the common cold, the way that they get inside these cells in your respiratory tract is they unlock they they latch onto that molecule and then open up the cell and kind of like inject themselves inside and then the cell's machinery copies the the rna of the rhinovirus and makes a whole bunch of copies and you know causes an infection but it's only adapted for us for our specific um respiratory tract and the proteins on it so there's Hmm. there the host range is super super narrow but that's not to say I wouldn't be worried about all <gasps> diseases. What diseases? Okay, think about this. Can you name any current living dinosaurs? Crocodiles. No, crocodilians are cousins, but they are not dinosaurs. Chickens. There you go. You act Delicious chickens. Delicious, delicious chickens. Chickens and birds are dinosaurs. There's no other way of putting it. They just... Right. Are. They just are. I got in a big argument recently with an entire <gasps> class of community college students over whether or not birds are reptiles. And I'm here to tell you, yes, birds are reptiles. They're dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are reptiles. Wow. So, so birds and humans do have some diseases that can be passed back and forth, like bird flu. Avian, Avian flu. Avian flu. Exactly. Yeah. Right? It's rare you really have to be in super close contact with birds and all the waste products that they give off, you know, like their feces or from like their little nasal glands or whatever that carries a lot of these uh, avian-born diseases like viruses and bacteria. But there is documented examples of transmission between people and birds. Yeah. And it's possible if you were to have this time machine and go back in time and see dinosaurs and you were infected with With avian flu, flu. (gasps) you could give it to the dinosaurs because birds are just dinosaurs. So there's going to be a decent chance that their immune, the way their body works is still able to be exploited by avian flu. Whoa, that would be so sad. Yeah. It would be. I actually looked up that Simpsons episode ending as well, and the comments were like, oh, this is this could totally happen because of what happened when European explorers first came to the New World, right? Right, And that's not a perfect analogy, because when Europeans came over to the New World, they weren't running into dinosaurs. They were running into people. Other people. Other people. Other human beings. And... These people that they were running into did not have a history of domesticating animals and living with livestock in such close contact as Europeans and Eurasians have, right? Europeans had been farming cattle and chickens for a long, long, long time. And so the viruses and diseases of these animals and the humans had way more opportunities to cross over and infect each other. Yeah. So when these Europeans came to the New World and they brought smallpox with them, the humans in North America and South America, they had no resistance to it because they just didn't have this close contact with livestock like that. And they didn't spend a lot of time with yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the opportunity for that cross-species jump also has to be there. 
if you're going mm. back in time with bird flu for some reason, like you're like, ah, I've just got a little bird flu, but let me just hop in the in the old time machine real quick, take this baby for a spin. Yeah. You're probably still not going to infect the dinosaurs unless you're like constantly hanging around them and sneezing on them and stuff. Right. Po- pooping in their drinking water. Like it's probably yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> but huh. what you shouldn't do is bring chickens back with you. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Like don't if you're if you are going back to see the dinosaurs, leave your chickens at home. That seems like a good moral of any time travel story. <laughs> I think that's that's a thing to live by. What I would be more concerned with though, what if you infect early mammals? That's exactly what I was going to ask. There you go. Wait, what if I I go back in time and I'm a mammal and there are mammals there? I could get them sick, and then I don't exist, and now we've got a paradox, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that, because exactly. then, you know, alternate timelines, and oh, man, exactly. it gets complicated. So, Nitai's question, he asked, like, oh, what if we were the cause of the mass extinction time travel paradox? And I'm like, I wouldn't be worried about the dinosaurs. I'd be worried about us. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you could kill ancient mammals yeah. with, our, with diseases that they aren't prepared to protect. To protect mm-hmm. themselves against but, even something as simple as the common cold. Yeah, but they're but they're wow. still vulnerable too because they share you know a lot of the same functions and structures that mammals have in common with each other. Yeah, yeah. I think we like to think of sixty-five million years or one hundred and fifty million years. You know, the dinosaurs were around a long time as a long, long time ago, mm-hmm. and it was relative to us, but not necessarily relative to life existing or Earth being around with life on it, you know, 50, 50 million years is not that much. It's a lot for human, modern humans, but uh, not for life. Yeah. So. And another thing to keep in mind with evolution is that if there's no reason for things to change system structures, like if, if it's working, then it doesn't change very much. So you could go back all that way and still have things very much in common with ancient mammals, you know, that therefore would provide an in for these pathogens to attack. Yeah. Something to think about. I, I think that that's something you should think about every time you watch a time travel show is like, you know, Marty McFly's taking diseases from the 1980s back to the 1880s. You know, that's that might not be good. Yeah. He could be he could go and kill everybody in that town. In particular, right, like the, the Spanish flu pandemic from like 1917, 1918, you know, yeah. that that he's probably immune to. But that, yeah, it could be devastating. Right. If he like if he had if he had influenza, yeah. like a really bad influenza that could kill. You basically are starting a Doc Brown's inadvertent tra- time travel to 1885 could have kicked off what later became the Spanish. Yeah, flu. this is heavy, Doc. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Something wrong with the gravitational pull? Polarity. Such a good response. Uh, Such a good response. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love this question. I think the concerns are are well placed, but the specifics of it, I'm like, uh, dinosaurs probably gonna they'll be fine. Be okay. They're gonna be fine. Leave the chickens at home, and that's it. Just don't bring a chicken when you time travel. That is the thing we want you to take away from this yeah, episode. Yeah, we're gonna get a T-shirt <laughs> with that. Don't bring a chicken when you time travel. <laughs> Don't bring a chicken when you time travel. Leave it at home. Remember. Leave chicken at home. Bring a towel. Don't bring Can a chicken. Can you imagine the, the time machine like portal has like a big no chickens No sign. chickens. Don't take a chicken. No chickens. No chickens. That would be so funny. Oh my gosh. That's Things great. you don't think about. 
Well, I'm glad that you mentioned a bunch of biology because I'm going to talk about a bunch of biology and my answer as well. Oh, good. But first, let's have a quick break. If you've turned into this... Turned into it? You've turned into one. You've turned into a science comedy podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work? If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it. If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? Are we? We are, right? We're cool. I mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely, but like, oh. Other houses. Anyway, <laughs> this is all to say I am super excited about our new sponsor, Brilliant. Yay! Can I kind of get a little like, you know, in my feels for a second? Oh, yeah. Get those feels. Elaborate, please. Hey, I see what you did there. I am exactly the kind of person that Brilliant was made for. I have always been interested in math, physics, computer science. When I had the chance to study these things in college years ago, I was also really intimidated by them. Yeah. And I avoided taking these classes. And honestly, I regret it. I'm going back now. I'm taking classes at my local community college. I'm loving it. Yeah. But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore, and I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged. You can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM subjects all across the platform. Their lessons are engaging and interactive. You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations, computer science, Python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today. Large language models really be great now. <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language models. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Gaelic, though. The large language that you can learn is Gaelic. Yeah, ship that. I'm in. We can finally communicate with the Scots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level. Or, you know, just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data. That's cool. That's really cool. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class. Oh, totally. And if you haven't taken one, here's your chance. You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would appreciate that. Try it out. You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org slash absurd or click the link in the show notes. Once again, that's brilliant.org slash absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription and it supports the show, even just trying it out. So go ahead check it out, maybe get sucked into a few lessons. Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back, if you get back. Oh, I hope you get back. They come back and they know more than us about everything. <laughs> They're just like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> their brains are the size, this huge brain coming out of their cranium. I've absorbed all knowledge. Why do I listen to this podcast of dummies? I have no time for your absurd antics. <laughs> But I would definitely take one on large language models. Cool. A Scottish AI robot that nobody can understand. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> turn on the lights. Sorry. Arm the burglar alarm. <laughs> it supports the show. It'll be great. <laughs> 
Hello, maybe we're back from an advert. Maybe we didn't have one. Either way, thanks for listening to That's Absurd, Please Elaborate. How's it going? Are you asking me or the... the Yeah, I was going to ask you because I can't hear the audience. Maybe they're in their car or wherever going like, I'm doing great. And I hope that's the case. Hold on, let's give them a pause for that. Hey, how you doing? That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, me too. Me Mm -hmm. too. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I assume people are talking while you're talking when you're just saying things that are like filler words. Like, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm I, I'm doing well. I'm back. I just had a bathroom break, so I feel oh, better. Wonderful. <laughs> that segues well to my question. Did it? Uh, it did. <laughs> so my question is something that when I saw come through in our little Slack that you mentioned earlier, I was so excited. And I was so excited for a very specific reason. I'm not going to actually tell you what the question is yet, because I, I have a pre-question for you, Julian. Yeah. Did you listen to Weird Al Yankovic growing up? Uh, I mean, I am the way I am. Obviously, I, know, I did. I assumed <laughs> you did, but I didn't want to, you know, I can't assume everybody was like me. There's a 100% <laughs> chance that anybody who forms a science jokey podcast... <laughs> Did in fact listen to Weird Al. Thank you, Weird yeah. Al, for all that you have done for that us. That Venn diagram's a perfect circle. <laughs> Maybe you remember the 1993 al- album Alapalooza, where uh, it was like the Jurassic Park parody album, opened with a Jurassic Park song that was a parody, came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. On that, there were a bunch of different songs that maybe you recall. Jurassic Park, of course, was nominated for a Grammy, the claymation video of Weird Al's Jurassic Park video. Go watch it. It's great. Wow. Um, also on that album was the Flintstones meets Red Hot Chili Peppers parody called Bedrock Anthem. Yabba dabba, yabba dabba, dabba do oh, now. You know, that one. Yeah. Uh, Achy Breaky Song, uh, parody of Miley Cyrus's less successful dad. And then, of course, <laughs> Whatever there's... his name is. Can't yeah, be bothered to care. look it up. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Bohemian Polka, the polka version of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Of course, Living in the Fridge, which was... Uh, parody of a Aerosmith song he was just peaking we're, in the we're 90s, transitioning from a Morgan Freeman fan podcast to an all Weird Al Yankovic nostalgia podcast honestly I'd be here totally for that fine. let's do let's go through every single song in his discography no, and talk no about complaints it. so also on this album is one of the lesser known songs which is a style parody interestingly different than a direct parody direct parody is like white and nerdy mm-hmm. right it's a direct parody we took the song rewrote the lyrics a style parody is like I it's a different song it feels a little different but it sounds really similar this one is traffic jam uh, which is actually it's a parody of let's go crazy by prince and the revolution but uh he's sitting in a traffic jam Mm -hmm. okay in that song there is a lyric i I swear this all makes sense Uh, this is the longest walk ever to a question it really is it really is my back teeth are floating and my nerves are shot and i'm stuck right here in the middle of a traffic jam and that is the first thing i thought of when I heard this question from Spencer. Mm -hmm. Is that sad that I thought of a 1993 Weird Al song when I saw this question and said, now I have to answer it? It just shows how clearly, like, hardwired your brain is around Weird Al Yankovic as formative experiences. Because that was instant recall, apparently. It was. And I remembered that lyric exactly, but I still double-checked it to make sure that it was right. (laughs) Let me me (laughs) zoom in on this Prince-style parody, because famously Prince never gave Weird Al permission to parody any of his songs. You had to rely on a style parody. So Spencer asked, why do my teeth feel like they're floating or vibrating when I have to go to the bathroom? It's a great question. 
discussion. And Spencer gave some interesting uh, and additional context. I've experienced this when I'm close to a toilet with an urgent need, but my body knows it's not quite time to unload. For example, maybe there is a line or the belt won't unlatch in time. I've asked a few doctor friends and it turns out it's not really known in the medical world. Spencer, this is a great question. You are not alone. Apparently Weird Al Yankovic also knows what this is. See, I I always thought this was just an expression. Yeah. Like, I have never experienced the sensation of my teeth floating. And I... I and I'm sorry if this is graphic and gross, but I imagined it as your bladder is so full that your, your entire human body is a vessel <laughs> for uh, urea, let's say. And at this point, the levels... <laughs> Of this nitrogenous liquid have reached your, your molars in the back of your mouth. That's which are now floating because molars somehow the, yeah float they're only in loosely tethered to urine. your gums, right? And as soon as the liquid yeah. level rises, like a little buoy, yeah. and that's how right. you know you have to pee. That's what I assume really the expression. Yeah, honestly, you're right on. I have done a lot of desktop research on this because I had also heard of this phrase, but I do not experience this sensation. So I was like, I, is this phrase just a phrase? You know, like I like one of the other many phrases for going to the bathroom that are so weird and not at all connected to the actual act of going to the bathroom. And it is, but it is also not. So I'm glad that you have heard of it. I was going to ask, but lots of people describe it as an itchy tickly or sometimes even like a painful or pressure feeling in the gums or the teeth seriously when holding urine yeah okay i know it's a real sensation that people have it's not just like oh i really gotta go uh it's you know a real feeling that they're they're having in their face inside of their mouth and there are people on all these forums across the internet saying that they think it's totally normal and that their family has this and they experience it and some people are saying they're crazy and maybe they should stop doing various drugs that they decided were the bad ones um and either way i'm not a doctor but the fact that i could find so many examples of this makes me think that it's probably totally normal it's just that it might be because some people mention their family members having it maybe it's genetic uh it's just wild that many, a lot of people had never even heard of it, which means they should listen to more Weird Al Yankovic, I think. Anyway, this is just a, a basic reminder that people experience the world differently from you, uh, and you should be open to that. So, you had heard of the phrase, and I had as well, so that's where I started with my research. I started with a little history, like I do. So, back teeth are floating is a informal or vulgar in some dictionaries way to say you need to pee. Uh, there are a variety of different ways to say that you need to pee. Um, are we going to rank them in most polite to least <laughs> polite? Because I already know the most polite, which is how my What's... grandmother says it. Oh, I need to which know. Which is, I have to tinkle. I have to tinkle. The, which oh, I is love that she says tinkle. My favorite way of saying it. <laughs> I I like having to visit the little whatever's room. No, you know when I, I do not like used that. to work at a museum, I do not we like were that in costume, and I and we were in like a full costume of an 1880s soldier. So I would always be like, "We'll be right back. We just have to go visit the little soldiers' oh. room," which I thought was really funny. that is cute. But can you imagine an 1880s soldier at a fort going, "Just a moment, I have to tinkle." Uh, you're yeah. right. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um, the phrase doesn't seem to have a, a specific point when it was invented that I could find. Uh, it seems to be associated with the American South, uh, which makes sense because it didn't actually originate there, I don't think. I found an example of Voir les dons du Funky Benny, which means 
literally my back teeth are floating that that sounded cool is that for like louisiana yeah. though so it if it's associated with the american south but it shows up in french slang books which it does oh. i would guess yes ah. the same that it probably came in through louisiana ah. into the south so that's why we hear it or it's associated on most of these forums like oh i think this is from the south uh, you know we said this blah 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 um and i bet you it came out of french was directly translated from french through that part of the country and then just became part of the culture in the south however if you go into France, I've translated a bunch of French websites and was reading through those, and they use this to mean that you're very full, that like you just overindulged in a meal. You're super duper full. You're like teeth still have like food in between them and stuff. Mm. Um, so your teeth are like swimming in matter. So it's mm. like not a polite way to say that your back teeth are floating. It also could mean that you're like going to throw up. Mm. Uh, you're so You know, full. if you're Bear grills, you could use this expression either way. Does the internet still make those jokes about Bear grills and how he always, the survivalist and how in the in nature to get fluids he drinks his own? You know what? I'm, never mind. That was a funny joke five years ago. We're going to move on. <laughs> It was pretty gross to think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't don't take it out with me. That's Bear Grylls. I don't. I don't advocate for drinking urine at all. That's I'm a not going to take it up with Bear Grylls. He would. I feel like he would punch me. Probably. And then right I'd be like, it's a nice, refreshing. You know what? Not going to keep making the joke. I'm just going to say, I have to tinkle. And he would say, I am thirsty. Thank you. <laughs> so that that it, that whole kind of that whole kind of history is what I could find. It was a little bit of a breakthrough when I found that there were French people talking about this phrase and Americans or people who had lived in America were jumping into the comments in French saying like, oh, in the U.S. they use this to mean that they have to go to the bathroom, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, and it would make sense that you would, you know, drink a lot of wine or a lot of beer or whatever, eat a lot of food, and then it could easily jump from one place to another. So here's what I got that the floating is not. Mm -hmm. Your grandmother saying I have to tinkle is probably not going to trigger this back teeth are floating thing most people seem to talk about it when they really have to go even spencer mentions it like it's an urgent need and you cannot go yet you're waiting in line or you like aren't getting your pants undone fast enough and you feel this weird feeling so tinkling whizzing having a leak you know whatever other euphemism you're going to use probably not applying to back teeth are floating that's more like you have to go really bad mm. So for that, I wanted to know a little bit more about how we pee, because it started to give me this idea that I might have figured this out. I am not going to write a paper on it because I don't have time. But <laughs> if there is a doctor out there who wants to do the research, I will talk to them about it. And it would be really interesting. So if you have to pee, by the way, uh, right now you should probably just go pee. Uh, because we're going to talk about pee a lot for the next few minutes. So bad for the people listening to this in the car that can't yeah. <laughs> can't get like they're stuck in traffic. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, maybe switch. Oh, maybe switch oh, episodes. Come it's back. Just like the Weird Al song. <laughs> Only we're causing it. <laughs> so uh, all humans have to pee at some point. Uh, there are organs. Bold statement. Uh, whether your whether your organs are inside or outside or somewhere in between, you're going to ingest some food and water, and you're going to pee. Solid waste goes out the back. And into the alley liquid waste comes out the front uh kidneys process the liquid waste they dump it into the bladder through uh tubes called ureters which is pretty awesome um and then the bladder holds on to it until it's excreted do you have any idea how much pee you could make in a day julian is this like a challenge 
Well, I mean, yeah, if you want to go <laughs> like, for that. But like, I... if I were going for a personal best, are we talking like average? <laughs> Do you have a personal uh, best? Yeah, I, I, I measure it every time, don't you? <laughs> yeah, in metric, yeah. because it's so much easier. Yeah, yeah, I think my personal best is probably, in a, in a day, did we say? Yeah, how much do you think the average person makes in I'm a gonna day? I'm going to guess about two liters. That's a lot. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, you make like about a half liter. Oh, well. <laughs> I must be doing something wrong. Yeah, that guess. or I have no idea what a liter actually look like, looks like. <laughs> how much is normal? Uh, oh, a half liter. How much do you pay? <laughs> two liters? Whoa. You're paying two liters a day? Yeah, why? <laughs> I mean, look, we laugh. There are, might be, there are probably people who do pee that much because maybe they ingest that much fluid. But the average person is peeing, uh, you know, or is generating about 16 ounces or, you know, one Patriot pint of uh, <laughs> liquid a day. I, I think it's also a sign of some diseases, right? Like prostate problems yes. or diabetes or something, too. Yeah, so if exactly. You, you end up peeing a lot. A, more than, I guess, the standard now being half a liter. <laughs> Yeah, about a half a liter, 16 to 24 ounces is is typically what they say. And the bladder, uh, you know, fills up typically and it stretches. It's not always big enough to hold all of that. And that's why you start to feel the need to pee. At about a quarter full, the bladder starts to send signals to the brain. So oh my God. It, it's not even close to you full. You talk about your brain being like hardwired in a weird way. When you said the need to pee, I had a flashback to Top Gun when Tom Cruise is like, I feel the need. The need to pee. <laughs> well, we've got some weird brains on this podcast. So I'll give us that. This is the second Tom Cruise movie I brought up this podcast. <laughs> so uh, if you get a quarter full, your brain gets a little uh, notification, if you will, from the bladder that's like, hey, we're about a quarter, mm. just so you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily even trigger you consciously knowing that you have to pee, which I think is interesting. But about half full, it definitely is triggering your brain and telling you, okay, you got to you gotta pee. And what's doing that is there are these stretch sensors on the outside of the bladder or in the inside of the bladder. I don't know. There are <laughs> if I put my hand the, down your yeah, throat. <laughs> if I put inside of the bladder, what is the outs? Anyway, the, they're... They are within the bladder structure, and they can tell the brain, you know, how stretched it is. Um, and so what what ends up happening is at about a half full, they start to get more urgent. And the sphincters that are holding your pee inside of your body are, you know, holding nice and tight. And so they want to, of course, let the pee out, mm-hmm. and your brain has to decide to leave it in. And just in case there are some people who'd never learned sphincter as a term outside of the playground, ah. um, sphincter is not just there there is one one really big one uh that everyone loves to talk about um but the there are way more sphincters in the body yeah. than one yeah your your stomach uh, right you've got like sphincters they're amazing. before and after it's any sort of like closing aperture yeah. dealing it's it's a muscle that looks like calamari whoop 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 just closing it right mm, up you know mm, mm. um how many sphincters do you think are in the body? Just fun fact. Two liters. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on their size, uh, I mean, maybe volume. I don't know. How many sphincters? Uh, 16. 50. Holy smokes. Right? We have an 50. embarrassment of sphincters. I, I thought that it was like six You're or something, you know. absolute bag of sphincters, Trace. We are a bag so of sphincters. That's exactly what we are. Um, so there's a lot in the GI tract. There's some, every all the blood vessels, like to get to the capillaries, they have to have sphincters to control blood flow. If they don't, you get like edemas and stuff. So that's why they're there. And they're, the eyes, the pupil, iris or whatever, the iris, not the pupil, is a is a sphincter. 
sphincter. Oh, it's like a light cool. sphincter. Yeah, it's Photon a light sphincter. blocking sphincter. Yeah. So uh, either way, the sphincter muscle keeps that bladder bag all locked up until the brain gives that go, no go for launch. So the exit ramp for urine, no gift shop. They just let it right out, flows out into whatever it is that you're catching it in. So the interesting thing here is that brain-bladder connection. So to pee, the autonomic nervous system, the somatic nervous system, and the brain all have to work together. Mm -hmm. So in a normal situation, the brain gets signals from those stretch receptors, the bladder's filling up, and they go through the sacral spinal nerves 2, 3, and 4, which if you think of the spinal column, at the very, very bottom is a little tailbone. Around the pelvis, a little above the tailbone, there are these holes, literally holes in your spine where these nerves kind of run into the spinal column and then head up toward the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these 2, 3, and 4, S2, 3, and 4 are what speak between the part of the body that is around the bladder, so the genitalia and like the leg, the upper thighs and things, the butt, the sphincters, the anus, all of that goes through two, three, and four. And so the signal goes up the spine to the brain and it says, hey, we're, you know, half full. We should probably do something about that. And the brain's like, we're going to hold on to it for a bit. Just, you know, you know, little brave heart moment. Hold. See, see if we can uh, make it till the traffic clears up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, sensory cortex receives it, determines if it's a lot of stretch or not. It's not always conscious of this again, like I said. And some of the brain sometimes would trigger that decision to hold on to it. And this holding is controlled by the micturation inhibitory center which is in the frontal lobe where you'd end up with thinking, judgment, and self-control, which I think is really interesting uh, because those are parts of the brain that evolved later. So if the uh, if there's a no-go, we hold on to that, and the brain sends a signal back down. Now, I didn't know this because, I don't know, I don't remember it from biology class, but nerves only go one way. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a one-way travel. So every there's 31 pairs of nerves in the spinal column, and so the S234 sends it up, and then a a different pair of the S234 comes back down. Mm-hmm. And so they're only really going one way. The up is sort of near the middle of the spinal cord and the down is sort of around the back uh, and around the sides, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Anyway, neither here nor there. That it's is just cool. Kinda neat. I like that. Yeah. So if, if the brain says hold, then it holds. Uh, and if the decision is made for a go for launch, this is when the whole kind of dance starts. We have a parasympathetic collagenic nerve fiber that you can't control. This is part of the parasympathetic nervous system. So it just kind of happens, which is smooth muscles in the bladder will squeeze. Yeah. And they're squeezing to push the pee out. Then the alpha sympathetic nerve fiber lets the sphincters relax and lets the waste flow out. Again, you're not really controlling that. What you are controlling are voluntary muscles through the motor cortex. Your brain's like, okay, and uh, coordinate you know, synchronize your watches or whatever, and they send signals to striated muscles in the external sphincter and the pelvic floor. And that's where you can push or let things come out. And then you get that. This is why um, newborn babies just pee at really inopportune moments, right? Right. Because yeah. they, they don't have that ability yet to like know or go or no go. And yeah. so the smooth muscle tissue that, like you said, is is automatic, just works on its own, just like releases and sometimes to hilarious viral video effect. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the brain uh, is still a baby brain and the bladder's all like, hey, um, we're about a quarter full. We're about a half full. And the brain's like, cool, go for it, man. Mm-hmm. And the bladder's just like, woo. woo! And it's tinkle Done. time. 
Yeah, it's all, it's always tinkle time. Uh, the brain, you know, hasn't really learned boundaries yet. So, it's, you know, it doesn't know to say no. It's fine. It's learning those boundaries and gets those eventually. So those, le- those stretch sensors, I, you know, this without getting too dirty in case there are kids around, uh, the stretch sensors relaxing for many people feels really good. Uh, our brain rewards us for releasing waste because if you don't, uh, Julian, what happens to Tycho Brahe? Uh, well, Tycho, Tycho Brahe, uh, the astronomer, uh, famously drank too much wine at a dinner party and would not excuse himself because it would be bad table manners in like the what 1500s, late 1500s. Yeah. And his bladder exploded and then he died of an infection. Right. So definitely don't hold on to your pee for too long. There are a variety of reasons why not to do it, but that being one. Uh, And, you know, Tycho is an interesting fella, no matter what. But I knew that you would remember that from that video you made about him because you were like, he's such an interesting guy. Total madman. Anyway. So we get a reward for releasing waste. Our brain rewards us, you know, with dopamine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the bladder also, remember, is through the S234, which are the same as all the other parts in the area. So if you think about where the bladder is relative to the other things in the area, some people really like the feeling of a full bladder. They really like the feeling of evacuating their bladder. Uh, there are reasons for that, and it's because all of these things are interwired. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and the bladder already has a lot of these connections right there. So, since the teeth floating isn't exactly a problem, most of the stuff I just described we know about because there was a problem, right? Mm. Something was broken, somebody wasn't going to the bathroom when they wanted or they wanted to and they couldn't, so medicine would study, okay, where is the break? Where is something that's not working like you want? Uh, and they would spend all this time to figure it out. But teeth floating isn't exactly a problem. So as Spencer said, we don't know that much about it. Uh, And that's probably because it's not bad. However, I did find a dentist on a forum uh, who would weigh in on the back teeth thing. And he wrote, quote, your question is interesting because during my 42 years as a dentist, I have heard it before. Two to three patients asked me why they get a tingling sensation in their gums when they need to go to the bathroom for one reason or another. So all I can say is you're obviously not alone, but I have not found any research about it on the subject and I don't want to guess. But we do know that the nervous system is complicated and there may be a connection between both ends of the alimentary canal. Perhaps this would be something worth studying. So, all of that aside, I sat down and said, I'm not a dentist. Of course I can guess. (laughs) You would have really worried me if you said, I might as well be a dentist. (laughs) That was your starting point. So, I spent the weekend learning dentistry. Amateur dentist and hobbyist brain surgeon, Trace Dominguez. (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Nick. Second Simpsons reference this episode. Somebody's going to have a reference bingo at some point. (laughs) I hope so. Somebody has to keep track. So I sat around and I thought about it. Julian, when you look at the sun, do you sneeze? I mean, I don't make a habit of it. But I have heard, for me, no, it doesn't happen. But I do know many people who say in bright sunlight they start sneezing. Yep. It's called uh, the autosomal dominant compelling helloophthalmic outburst syndrome. Expialidocious. Even <laughs> if you wrote that out, you would get A C H O O. A chew syndrome. Oh, I oh love the acronyms strike again. It's so good. And so, solar sneezes are an ex- are a response that occurs with exposure to bright light. Basically, the reason it happens, they think, is because of crossed wires. The nerves in your face get excited by this bright light, and the fifth cranial nerve or trigeminal nerve specifically, they kind of interact, they cross talk inside of your body, and you sneeze. 
And 15 to 30% of humans do this. It's likely genetically inherited. It's more common in white people and in people assigned female at birth. Uh, but does that sound like something we've been talking about, right? This is what I came up with, is maybe there's crosstalk with the nerves in your body. So when you really have to pee, the nerves in your body are going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and your brain is saying, hold, and all of that activity is going in between nerves in your face to give you this tingling sensation in the back of your mouth. So I went and I looked up and there are several nerves all in your face that are connected very closely to other places, uh, similarly closely to these two nerves that we know cause this Achu syndrome. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. What, so are you going to tell me the names of these nerves? Yeah, the mandibular nerve V3 and the is the uh, lower jaw, and the mandibular nerve V2 is the upper jaw. So maybe I don't I don't know because he didn't say, but perhaps they only feel it in their lower jaw or upper jaw. If that's the case, it would help us kind of narrow it down. But on top of that, the face is like a tangled anatomical map of nerves. There are so many nerves running through there. There's a really some really good interactive anatomy things you can look at online and just turn off everything that's not a nerve. And there are just nerves running everywhere through your jaw and through your face. And they're connected right to the brain. And some of them run parallel to the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nerves, which we know are being activated. So really interesting. I came up with my own acronym. You yes, ready? that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> I was, that was, oh, okay, good, good. I want to know. I want to hear. Okay, so this one it was the first one I came up with. I don't love it. Okay, okay. It's the PODAG, <laughs> paresthesia of dentition and gingiva, which is, uh, uh, paresthesia means like tingly, mm. uh, and then dentition and gingiva are gums and teeth. So then I, I kept thinking about it for a while, and I... and. You're going you're gonna to hate this. You ready? Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to love how much I hate it. Gingiva or dentition, acute paresthesia excitation experience, which is gotta pee. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I was going to go with paresthesia electroneural excitation, Ooh. which would just be pee. That's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, we but can, like can combine. I like the gotta pee. I like the gotta yeah. pee. Yeah. I, uh, so G-O-D-A is, par- is gingiva or dentition acute. Mm-hmm. So it's really gingiva or dentition acute and then paresthesia excitation, which I like yours better. Mm. Ex- what did you say? I think it, I think it was like electroneuronal excitation. Electroneural. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Electroneural excitation <laughs> is nice. <laughs> And also, if you want to be a little boy about it, then it would be peen, which peen, is pretty funny. Which I also thought. <laughs> Either I did, way. I did consider that. I'm not going to lie, but I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> so maybe if, if, if there are enough people studying why we sneeze when we look at the sun, maybe we should get some people to study gotta pee. Gotta pee. Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the late night commercial now. Like, you suffer from gotta pee? Ask oh, your doctor. To study it. To, to look into that for us. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have to ask your doctor about medicine. For this you have to podcast. ask your doctor to go do some research. Do so. us a solid. We make a podcast that's listened to by <laughs> literally tens of people. And, <laughs> and we need to know. <laughs> So my answer for Spencer is no one knows why this happens. More research is needed. My YouTube channel is leaking. I'm sorry. And then you can't, uh, you could actually be that research. We know that it happens to you. 
Let's find some some experts who will study you, Spencer, or people like you, Donate Spencer. Donate yourself to science. Surrender yourself to the nearest science fortress for examination. <laughs> Forthwith. <laughs> and if there is time travel involved, do not bring a chicken. Do not Please. bring a chicken. Please leave chickens Please behind. Do not bring a chicken. We have a we have a bin out front for any chickens <laughs> that you accidentally brought. <laughs> we have a take a chicken, leave a chicken. <laughs> Like at the airport when you have a water bottle that you accidentally left water in, they have a spot for that. There's a chicken there. When you're going back in time, just leave it in the chicken bin. (laughs) 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 Oh my goodness, it's so good. So Uh. that's, that's my answer for why do my teeth feel like they're floating? Maybe crosstalk and nerves, I don't know. Crosstalk and nerves or something, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's so good. That's so good. I love that. I hope. So I wasn't going to reveal this. I did not tell you this when you picked this question. Spencer's my cousin. (gasps) Yeah. What? Spencer! I did not advocate for this question to be picked. Honestly, I love picking as many like random listener questions from as many people that we have no affiliation with whatsoever. But would you pick this one? Because as a matter of fact, right after the podcast started, I saw him. He was in town. We got dinner and he's like, I got a question for you. My back back teeth feel like they're floating. What's up with that, right? And that Is that was what Spencer like, sounds that was like? Ten, yeah, exactly. That was 10 <laughs> months ago. It's like he's here. That was 10 months ago. My, my mom saw him recently, and she was like, oh, Spencer likes your podcast, but he wants to know what's up with his back teeth feeling like they're floating. And I was like, he's still concerned about that? He must be. He, firstly, Spencer, stop holding your pee so much. Go to the bathroom. You have a if problem. You, you have to. It's Cousin not good Spencer. to hold on to it. That's how you get. That's how you get kidney stones. And if you have a lot of, if you have a lot of minerality in your urine, it can cause. There are a lot of problems. You got to go to the bathroom when you first feel like you have to go. Go. I'm really glad you addressed this before this became like a running thing for years. Where every time in I your go family, to a family, I kind of wish I hadn't now just to torture you. I wish I would have known. Spencer being like, hey. Man, Man, got a great question for your pod. <laughs> oh, is it the is it the back teeth thing, Spencer? Is it that again? Oh my god, I'm gonna start calling him P Dispenser. That's what I'm. Oh, that's gonna be his. What? I, he's wow. a great guy and a very talented wow. sculptor. So thank you for oh, your question, cool. Spencer. Thank you for your question, Spencer, and also your question, Itai. These were this was a very biology heavy uh, episode, so I hope y'all enjoyed it. Yeah, we normally we try and mix up the topics, but I loved the time travel dinosaur one and the uh, you know it being cold season so much. I had to go for it. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of That's Absurd. Please elaborate, everyone. This show was created, written, and produced by me, Trace Dominguez, and me, Julian Huget. And it was produced and edited by the wonderful and wonderfully talented Kyle Sisk. Special thanks to listeners who submitted the questions featured on this episode, Spencer and Nitai. If you'd like to submit a question, you can look for the form in our show notes, or you can email us at hello at thatsabsurdshow.com. We've also got that website, thatsabsurdshow.com slash ask, and keep sending those in. The show wouldn't be possible without these zany, ridiculous, fun questions, so keep them coming and sharing them with us we i mean honestly could not do the podcast without it and even if we just asked each other questions they aren't as good as the weird ones that you send in so, so please not. 
continue sending them in. We've got a big database of questions, and I super love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finally, also a special, special thanks to those who are listening over on Nebula. Thank you for that. You get access to ad-free versions of episodes and even can support the show just by listening over on Nebula. So if you do want to join nebula.tv slash that's absurd show. And remember, leave your chickens in the chicken bin. (laughs) 